So one of the things I really like about HubSpot is I actually very much welcome our culture skeptics. And in fact, some of the best people we've hired in our organization, particularly senior hires, are skeptics by nature. But I actually think that some people incorrectly bucket temporary cynics or full-time skeptics as cynics, and they'll say, oh, they're being negative. And in fact, sometimes those people are asking hard questions to help your organization get better. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, a show about those who are in the trenches actually doing the work. I'm Patrick Campbell. And I'm Ben Hillman. And on this episode, Katie Burke, Chief People Officer of HubSpot, talks about how culture is all about embracing the skeptics. Culture is the collection of habits that you accept and nurture within your organization. You're right, but I feel like that almost oversimplifies how hard it is to build culture. Yeah, and I'm not suggesting this is easy. It's something that is, something can be true and yet difficult and easy to understand, I guess. But it's incredibly difficult. And I think some of the most difficult aspects of culture is making sure you're creating an environment that is homogeneous on the very foundational pieces of the culture and heterogeneous on almost everything else. Okay, so please just take that again and explain for the non-science nerds in the audience. (laughs) Homogeneous and heterogeneous are not related perfectly to science, but sure. Okay. Uh, Basically, what I'm saying is that the best cultures out there have some aspect of these same foundational principles that drive the core behavior and then are fiercely diverse on all other aspects. Interesting, because I I think that I describe culture as being more alike than not. Well, it may be a bit semantic, but those aspects that are deeply alike at the foundation probably define the culture more than the diverse elements. But if everything is alike, then you don't get the diversity of ideas, which means you don't find the best ideas, which means you don't end up succeeding at overcoming problems. No, totally makes sense. I mean, it's almost as if culture is about embracing the skeptics. Exactly. And this is why one of ProfitWell's principles is to be disagreeable, because we want feedback to be non-negotiable, and we want to understand all sides of a problem and how we can improve it. Those skeptics are incredibly difficult to deal with sometimes, and I know I'm one of the worst. Ben, but they push for solutions and seizing opportunities. Yeah, this this whole concept and and just the concept of building a truly unique and great culture is the subject of our conversation with Katie Burke. She yeah. is the chief people officer, different kind of CPO over yeah. at HubSpot. Yeah, and Katie started her career in a smattering of different places from folding jeans at Express way back in the day to working with Vice President Al Gore and President Bill Clinton to also making the world's best athletes more successful through technology. All all of those experiences have not only made Katie incredibly wise on all just all things people, but they've also given her an incredible foundation for putting together highly effective teams in a high-paced environment. Hmm. And I mean, that's why I'm so pumped that we had the chance to learn from her. Yeah, but before we get to the bedrock of understanding of why you need to embrace those skeptics to create that unique and amazing culture. Let's first dive deep into Katie's background and how she got from the genes of Express to shaping the bedrock of one of the world's most valuable companies. Prior to HubSpot, I ran marketing and business development for an athletic training company. 
sounds super weird uh, and not super directed to HubSpot, but the way that I think about it is we trained elite athletes. So the company is called Exos. They train, you know, every Red Sox you can imagine, the NFL combine athletes, that sort of thing. And when I was there, we built a corporate wellness product. So that was the first time I was engaging with leaders at Google and Intel and Walgreens and other great companies and talking about how humans perform. And as it turns out, every single executive would ask us, okay, Julio Jones, Dustin Pedroia, Jacoby Ellsbury, all of them came to train here. How do I get to be like them? And the founder of Exos, Mark Verstegen, would always say, it always starts with the same thing, which is the willingness to change one thing. And so if you're an executive, you come in and say, I just want to run laps or do the same workout Julio Jones is. None of us as executives are ready to do that. And so what he'll say instead is, no, Patrick, actually, I'm going to ask you to start with your sleep routine. Are you getting eight hours a night as a founder? Probably the answer is no. Are you hydrating enough? What's the one small change you can make? So I view that experience as really meaningfully influencing my career at HubSpot because it helped me figure out how humans change and how to build ideally healthy cultures and organizations based on what we know about human performance from athletes. So uh, prior to HubSpot, I was there. And prior to that, I got my MBA at Sloan. So uh, I had a great experience there. Another HubSpot there. Sloany there. Totally, yeah, another HubSpot awesome. Sloany. But before that, I worked in political consulting. And so the way that I think about the common denominator between my stages of my career, politics, sports, and tech, is I love adrenaline. So awesome. <laughs> I love fast-paced cultures. Cool. I love things that you have to really move fast to keep up with. And I love people solving really meaningfully hard challenges. And so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense on LinkedIn, but in my head, it makes sense. You're basically now the lead character from Scandal in my mind. So, so that's like my yeah. life goal. So the way I describe it to people is I'm like, you know, I wanted to be Olivia Pope before you all knew there was Olivia Pope. Yeah. And our employees always took their like dream on. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but in my head, that's sort of what I envisioned. But it was actually obviously not as exciting, glamorous and cool. How could it ever be? But it was very similar. You have to read a room quickly. You have to know who's telling the truth. You have to know how to deal with the media. You have to know how to deal with stakeholders. And I had a, a moment really early in my career where I had just created the deck. So I was like, cool, I'm just responsible. You know, I'm 22. I just create the deck and I advance the slides for Patrick to present. And the stakeholder we were pitching said, I want to hear from her. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I'm the person. This is my job here. I'm the deck person. That's a guy. Yeah, I'm the yeah. deck lady. Like, yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. get it. And it was a really good lesson for me. So I don't show up for meetings anymore where I'm not prepared and I'm not prepared to speak up. And you have to be ready to be the spokesperson. You have to be ready to pitch a strategy at any time. So it was great training for HubSpot. Do you have any either crazy or like deeply meaningful? Like what's like a fun story from, from that era? I have a lot of stories, some of which I can't share, but one of my favorite memories was I got to work on the Clinton Library opening in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I'd never been to Little Rock, Arkansas before. And everyone thinks like, oh, okay, you're successful in tech because of your degree at MIT. I'm very lucky. I was, my first job was folding jeans at the Express, and my second job was as a waitress. And those two experiences have come in handy in ways that like I can't even tell you uh, for many years to come. So when we were planning the Clinton Library opening, one of the things to me that conveys the success of an event is your attention to detail for the guest experience. A little known fact is that Doe's, uh, which is an old school Southern cooking place in Little Rock, is the Clinton's favorite place. And so I got to spend some time with the wait staff at Doe's helping prepare the perfect layout and spread. And so, of course, when they came in and loved it, that was like a pretty great moment of getting the details right. And so I have lots of bigger memories of impact and that sort of thing. But one of the things I love about that story is we're all human, it comes down to getting the experience right. And oh, by the way, the details matter. And the reason that experience was great is I cared and liked the wait staff enough to get the details right. And they were front of house on all of it, which was really a cool experience. So for me, I always judge the success of my career based on how much did the EAs in a 
place, the people who work at the front desk, the custodial staff, are you as kind to them as you are to the people making decisions? I wish more people's career were defined by that kindness. I am just amazed that one human has this unique set of skills. You're talking about me? I am not talking about you. <laughs> okay. um, so what about Katie? I, amazes I, you? Well, gosh. <laughs> well, her experience, what I'm talking about is her experience is definitely interesting and exciting on, on a lot of levels. But if you read between the lines here, Katie's developed this ability to have extreme attention to detail while also maintaining the understanding of needing a framework or approach to some sort of mission as a whole that, that will have some bugs. You normally just don't get that similar set of skills in, in one human being. Yeah, and, and this is this is probably what makes her unique in the world of culture and in people operations, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're learning from someone who knows that small pieces of nostalgia or appreciation will have a really high impact on the psyche of someone, but that there are also these global truths that need to be followed, you know, sleep, hydration, et cetera. This is this is basically what we've found in some of the most successful heads of people operations that we've talked to, like um, Hyman Rickover, Patty McCord, Laszlo Block. Katie Burke, right? Her uh, too. Sure. Yeah, totally. We'll put Katie in that, that category. But this push and pull of, of, I think, this personalization and individualization of the culture um, or, ex or excuse me, the cultural experience while also pushing the global culture of a business forward is, I think, what drives a company's culture being unique. Which is something that Katie says is it's the whole point of a company exactly. culture. Exactly right. So let's listen in on Katie giving us a breakdown of what culture truly is. You know, it's not perks, of course. We've heard that so many different times. But how that uniqueness is what you're driving towards as a company culture. And pay careful attention to how she goes deep on how to actually execute on that unique culture over time, especially in the context of the HubSpot culture code. So the media tells us the story that culture is perks, right? It's just easy. It's the perks. It's, you know, the ping pong tables. It's the free food. And I think about culture as the people you hire, the problems they get to solve on a regular basis, and then how you reward and grow your people. So for example, if you hire amazing people, but the only people that you promote or the only people that you're able to retain are a certain type of person or don't reflect your culture, I think you're doing it wrong. And so for me, culture comes down to the people we hire and the people we grow, and then also the problems we let them solve and how we let them solve solve those problems on a regular basis, everything else is icing on the cake. And I think it's really important that culture be differentiated. So one of the things I got to talk about with your team today was I think most companies' cultures are honestly not that exciting. So if I were to say what makes this organization super exciting and what makes you want to come into work every day, founders have a tendency to play it safe. They want to cast a net that would appeal to everyone. And actually, the best cultures are really explicit about who would add to the culture and for whom people it might not be actually a great fit. I actually think that's the secret sauce, is actually establishing what makes you truly unique in the market. The Culture Code is now viewed as a great success. Four million people have viewed it. And so it's easy to look at that and go, oh, they had it all figured out from the start. And Brian, Darmash, myself, any one of us who is there would say, no, we had some iterations and some skips along the way. So for example, Heart, which is our value system, is actually the third iteration of our value set before we went public on it because we had to refine it. We had to get it right. We had to make sure it resonated with the company we were trying to build. And so what I say to founders as they're thinking it through is don't assume that we or any other culture that's distinctive 
got it right, right out of the gate. What does matter is that you're making the effort to get people aligned and clear on what your culture stands for. So by way of example, when Dharmesh announced to the company that we were gonna do the culture code, there was actually really robust debate around what it meant to be remarkable, for example. That's one of our values. Can you actually quantify that? Can you be explicit about it? Can you recognize that? And so we had some really healthy debate and it forced us to be really honest about what we believe in and why. I view that debate as very healthy because if you're not having that debate internally, it leaves it wide open for teams and managers to make those decisions on their own. And so I like that we still have a culture as part of our commitment to transparency, we iterate on the culture code. So the culture code is a living, breathing document that we update roughly once a quarter based on feedback, based on where it doesn't ring true anymore, based on where employees say, hey, you're falling short here. But I would say equally as important as putting the document out into the world and at least getting your team on the same page is making sure you deliver on what you promise. So one of the secrets of HubSpot success in culture is actually consistency. So making sure we're delivering on what we say our culture does. And so when I first took over culture, I'm not a trained HR professional by trade. One of the things I did was just said, what do we say in the culture code that our employees do not believe we deliver on yet? And how do we close that gap? And so really, when you're managing culture in a growing organization, you're a product manager. Your job is to combine feedback from your customers with leading insight into where you need to go long-term and to build a product that meets that. And so when you think about a great culture leader, when you think about how you should think about your culture, think of your product as your employee experience and invest time, energy, and effort accordingly in getting it right. Culture as product, it, it just makes a ton of sense. And we've heard that time and time again from Patty McCord, Mike Volpe, and, mm. and just countless other folks that we've chatted with. But where I'm getting hung up on right now is the fact that all of this is super easy if everyone's drinking the Kool-Aid, mm. but it's it's just much more complicated in reality. Right. Actually, well, actually, that's an interesting point. I think not everyone is going to be a cheerleader, and, and I really don't think you want everyone to be the epitome of a cheerleader inside the company, especially in creating that you know non-homogenized culture. Well, you know, didn't HubSpot get a lot of flack for this? Wait, what do you – are you – what? Actually, I don't well, know. What are you referring I, I've to? I've heard yeah. that people say drinking the HubSpot Kool-Aid before. Uh, and I think okay. that their their whole bleeding orange aspect is it's described as a little bit cultish. Yeah. Well, <laughs> cultish is a little a little strong. Sure. Uh, and I know, I mean, I, I, I know that's not you saying that. It's something you've heard. I, 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 but I do think that's a good point. Um, but it kind of depends on who's saying it, right? You know, on one hand, you you want the people who work in a company to be loyal and love the brand and the mission and, and to be those evangelists, right? Those people who have, you know, drank, drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> but you also need them to fiercely protect that brand above any one person. So I guess you want Kool-Aid drinkers who are willing to speak up if they feel the Kool-Aid is getting mixed incorrectly. <laughs> what have you done with the Kool-Aid? <laughs> I, yeah, I, that, that metaphor, it's falling apart. But what I mean is, is that why is it bad to have fanatics at your company? It can go too far, like don't get me wrong, but I would argue that the people who talk down to a company that has that intense of a culture are typically cynics that you don't want in the culture anyways. On the other hand, you want the skeptics who are always looking at making the culture better and keeping the keepers of the culture honest. And we have tons of those at ProfitWell, and I know there are a lot of those at HubSpot as well. Exactly, and, and this makes sense. It's it's all balance, as they say, but, but the skeptic slash cynic point is perhaps one of my favorites because it helps you identify who's just being 
you know, toxic for being toxic sake and who's actually going to try and help with their feedback and criticism. Yeah, that's exactly right. Who's going to actually help push the culture forward and keep the culture honest versus who's going to be negative all the time, even if their changes they want are are put into place. And let's actually hear Katie's take on this, which, which I think is great. Note how she has this pragmatic approach to encouraging and handling skeptics and, and avoiding the cynics. So one of the things I really like about HubSpot is I actually very much welcome our culture skeptics. And in fact, some of the best people we've hired in our organization, particularly senior hires, are skeptics by nature. They're very much, I want to make sure that what you're promising and what you deliver, I want to ask you hard questions in the interview process. Some of those people have been our best culture ads. Where I think there's a big difference is between skeptics and cynics. So you can see in a room, if there are people that ever go, Katie, I actually don't think we're doing this the right way. Let's talk about how we might apply something different. Or my experience at Google was really different. I want to talk to you about why or I think we're falling short. That to me is a wonderful conversation. And those people help our company get better. And by the way, if we're going to achieve our goals on diversity and inclusion, we have to be open to people who think differently, who have different perspectives. However, there's a huge difference between someone who says, I'm not so sure, and someone who says, I'm sure, and I'm not into this. And so one of the things I always advise founders to do is make sure you're really clear about ways that skeptics can engage in your culture, and also really clear that people who are cynical, some people just need a little adjustment, right? Some people just need a, hey, Patrick, you've been with the company a while. Let's just talk about how we reframe your attitude and get you pumped about the future because we're really excited about your future here. If that doesn't work, I think it's time sometimes for people like that to go because if you don't believe the best days of the company are ahead of you, the chances that you're going to be an amazing leader and building great things that your customers love are pretty small. Are those cynics, do you think, is that, because I'm sure there's cynics who are short-term cynics, let's say, you know, maybe they're going through something or something's happening. Absolutely. And I would say we've retained some of the cynics through the IPO process. So for example, there are some wonderful people at HubSpot right now who, after we IPO'd, said explicitly, it's really, it's harder to get things done around here than it used to be. I think that frustration is not just fair, but thank you for giving that feedback. And so there are times when those people, you could see their body language for two or three months was a little like, where do I fit? How do I reinvent myself as a leader? How do I think about what I want vis-a-vis HubSpot's goals? That, to me, we owe them feedback and support to get through that challenging time. I view that as fundamentally different than people who have spent three years of their career or tenure as cynics. Do you think that there are people who are hardwired to be cynics, meaning like you can never turn them around? Like you study like team member psyches constantly. So I'm just curious, like other people are just hardwired that way. And is there like value in keeping them around? I know it's a really general question, but I'm I curious. I think there are some yeah. people that are hardwired that way, and I would argue that for the very few people that's the case for, sure. I'm not sure they're worth your time, but I actually think that some people incorrectly bucket temporary cynics or full-time skeptics as cynics, and they'll say, oh, they're being negative. And in fact, sometimes those people are asking hard questions to help your organization get better. And so part of why I like our anonymous survey every single quarter is it gives us feedback on what's working and what isn't. And oftentimes you'll see some of the skeptics come out of the woodwork and share things like, this message isn't landing. I'm not excited about some of the new CRM messaging because I don't really get it yet. We absorb that feedback and I work with people like Christopher and Brian and Darmesh to address it. And what I like about that system is it gives us that feedback before it's a problem a year later. And so one of the ways we build trust is when people are skeptical and give us that feedback, rather than saying, who do you think you are to share that feedback with us? We go, 
give it to us and give us more of it. And so our obligation then is to act on that feedback. You're only as good as the feedback you act on. So if you're asking for feedback every quarter, but you're not doing anything about it, people aren't going to take the time to fill it out. Has there ever been something where that gap between what you think was supposed to be happening and what people thought, like, is there an example of like where you're like, holy cow, there's a wide gap? You remember, because you've been closely associated with HubSpot for years, but we went from being a single product company to a multi-product company. And from the outside, investors were like, this is great. This is a smart strategy. Internally, going from having a separate sales product that was separately branded, separately named, and separately sold via different portals, and integrating it with our marketing product, with our existing customers, and oh, by the way, with our existing teams internally, was much more painful. And so we stood up there, we did all the right things. We bought the t-shirts that said one HubSpot. We said rah, rah, rah. Our employees said was, gosh, the internal systems and our customer experience is still not aligned to where we want it to be. And so what we actually did was we took one of those skeptics, one of our sales managers created actually a chart of where he thought we were falling short. Rather than resisting and saying he was wrong, we published it to the whole company. We stood up in front of the company meeting and our COO, J.D. Sherman, said, hey, here's some of the feedback we got. Here are some of the ways in which we're falling short. And I've asked this gentleman to come back up and give us feedback in six months on how we're doing. And so we similarly provided the same grade six months later. But we built a lot of trust with employees by rather than saying we truly as a management team thought we were crushing it, we weren't. We were able to get that feedback long before if we had waited and not gotten that feedback, we wouldn't have known for six months how bad it was. And instead, our employees were like, hey, come on, you guys don't really have this all figured out. And we were able to meaningfully address it pretty quickly. Katie's thoughts on negativity are super interesting to me, uh, particularly in the context of a company growing and all of a sudden getting cultural dynamics that start to limit the number of touch points a person has for for feedback and constructive criticism. And, and what I'm, I guess, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, right now if we were two people and you and I were working together, I would have the ability to very easily give you feedback, right? And you would give me feedback and it would be this, this relationship, right? But all of a sudden, if we're adding, you know, 10, 100 employees all the time, all of a sudden it's like the, the, it's hard to make sure that everyone is getting the right amount of feedback, the right amount of constructive criticism, et cetera. And so there's just a lot of potential bugs in the system here. I, I think that people actually then end up getting lost in the sea of positivity and everything is great. But then some feel it's not. Mm. So the folks that who are are more negative and end up feeling like the positivity is shallow or superficial. Right. So those, that's almost like creating the potential, the potential for cynics, right? Because some folks are getting, you know, they're they're basically getting swept up in all of the big public announcements. And most of the big public announcements at a company are going to be positive, right? Like it's going to be, you know, rare that you're going to send something out that's super negative, like every week or every month, because mm. you don't know how people are going to take it. But then the folks who are kind of these skeptics, they they kind of come off like these aggressive ogres, right? <laughs> you know, and at ProfitWell, I think we're we're probably a bit too critical, because you know, I'm incredibly critical and, you know, it's constructive, or at least I always try to be constructive, but I know personally that I don't celebrate small wins nearly enough. And we have plenty of folks here who, who do that 
though, which is great because it balances things out. But as you get larger, I can see how bugs in the system would evolve in this context. Right. And, you know, I think that's an operational problem. So how do you not just fall back on compliment sandwiches or weird tropes of a five to one ratio? (laughs) How do you actually do this the right way? Yeah. So how do you avoid the Forbes article management, basically? I mean, I think that's a good question. And I'm sure things are very individualized to each culture, but I really liked Katie's take on this and how HubSpot has basically evolved to keep the balance on an individual level. Um, And I would pay close attention to how the bedrock of all of this is vulnerability and expanding the feedback window. So to me, it comes down to two things. One is vulnerability and two is trust. So first on the vulnerability side, one of the things I find in tech is everyone assumes everyone else is crushing it but them. Tech is filled with people who are really hard on themselves and are their own harshest critic. And so one of the biggest challenges, if you and I are trying to give feedback to each other, one of the biggest challenges is I'm sitting here just going, oh, I just gave this talk. I messed up on these things. I got to work better at this, that sort of thing. And so I'm not open and listening to some of the things you could do to help me get better. And similarly, I assume that you are all knowing and have never made a mistake and are super confident, that sort of thing. And so one of the things that our team has been working a lot on is vulnerability and really lowering down that shield that everyone wears in the tech community. So instead of you saying, I'm the almighty and I'm giving you feedback and to help you get better, instead you're going, Katie, I want to share with you a few of the things that I've been working on as a leader. And as part of your performance review, I want to talk through not just how you can get better, but how I can get better too. And so for me, what that's allowed me to do is I still give my team really hard feedback that can be really hard to hear, but I do so based on the notion that they know I'm not crushing it. I'm not prioritizing my own growth and I'm creating spaces within our team to have those conversations. The other thing you have to do is make it safe to fail. So we have a quarterly failure forum where a senior leader gets up and shares something that they completely whiffed on. And the only rule for that forum is you can't get up there and say, my biggest weakness is that I work too hard. I can't be like a fake failure. You have to actually say, here's something I learned from it. And so I think if you start getting real, it's a lot easier to give people good feedback. And I think that starts as leaders with being a little vulnerable on what we aren't good at. The second part of it is so important, which is to say, often people view feedback as a window of time. So I love quick, actionable feedback. The best time you can give feedback, obviously, is in the moment. But I also love it when people actually follow up. So one of the things I find with managers is they're like, I gave Patrick the feedback. I'm not sure how it went. And you're like, cool, how did you follow up with it? How did you offer to coach him on that tough feedback? So if you say to someone, man, you are terrible at presenting, but then you ever check in with them in a week and say, okay, how did we set goals to get there together? How can I help you? How can I match you with a coach? How can I help you prepare for your next presentation? You have to be as willing to give hard feedback as you are to follow up or coach. And I find in tech, coaching is a really undervalued skill. And so one of the things I'm looking for a lot in director, VP, or management hires is how much do you love to coach other people and help them succeed? And one thing I really, Corey Thomas at Rapid7 is really intentional about coaching as part of his repertoire. And so I'm trying to like glean some of the things he's doing to help set the tone with our team that it's not just about more training in the classroom. It's not just about more feedback. It's about loving the act of following up with people and helping coach them to success. Katie's truly the embodiment of living on the edge between big picture and the atomic level. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. And that balance is what keeps the cultural flywheel turning, especially when it comes in kind of the context of rapid growth. Uh, What's interesting, though, is that some of the things that she mentioned, I don't think really apply to us because 
while we're growing rapidly, we're adding, you know, five people a month, not five people a week. So we're starting from a place of that constructive criticism and looking into basically imbue more of the cheerleading aspect into the long term. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair assessment. I don't think either are good or bad, right, or wrong. But that's where culture is so individualistic and, and unique to a company. Right. And, and ultimately... That criticism is crucial as long as it's constructive because culture only gets better solidified and remains authentic by ultimately embracing those skeptics. Protect the Hustle is produced by Dan Callahan and Ben Hillman with help from Steve Sarasoli and Alyssa Chan. Written by Abby Sullivan. Share this episode on Twitter with the hashtag protect it, and we'll hook you up with some official PTH and ProfitWell swag.